everybody. This is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 138 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Missed you all last week. Bummer, man, but I guess things happen. I had two scheduled interviews, and, and both had to get rescheduled, unfortunately, but it was nice to also have a uh, week off, and it's just been busy. I don't know about you all, but it seems like everybody's schedules have just been really, really crazy here now that summer is ramping back up. Uh, but that's great. No complaints here. It's nice to be busy playing um, Been seeing some live music, too. I saw Steep Canyon Rangers uh, in a rare gig where their, their drummer wasn't able to make it. So it was them just acoustically. And, and man, they were fantastic. Mike Gugino is such a great player. If you ever get a chance to go see them live, I highly, highly recommend it. I also saw Fish live this week for the first time. I've never seen them live and they were in Charleston. So went to that. That was a really, really good time. Dave Matthews band tonight. I haven't seen Dave Matthews live either. Uh, actually, I take that back. I saw him as the duo with Tim Reynolds um, a while back, uh, and that was that was fun. Um, but I've never seen the full band, and that drummer, Card Buford, is incredible. So it'll be really cool to see that. All right, so hope everybody's good. Have a, uh, the new Patreon-only podcast going up here today at the same time as well. I, uh, I slow a uh, Bill Monroe double stop part down for you to hear the just the groove and the way he plays i think you don't really get the uh the gist of it when you hear it going at full speed so i'm kind of got a uh, slowed down version for you to hear and it's really interesting i think to listen to it that way and i also talk about sierra hall's new song Corey wong that's on youtube and uh and uh no new grass revival i worked on colin baton rouge to start playing live and you work that intro out for mandolin, and then there's a really cool chord progression at the end, too. That's really, really fun to play on mandolin and talk about that and some other stuff as well. So that's for all my patrons. I want to welcome my, welcome my newest patron, Simone, too, by the way. Thank you so much, Simone. Again, patreon.com slash mandolins of beer. You can go and support the podcast, and there's everything from $1 a month to uh, $10 a month to support the podcast. And above a certain level you get access to all the videos um, and everybody gets access to the patreon only podcast so check that out there my guest this week ashby frank fantastic mandolin player just uh signed with mountain home records and um he's played with everybody man it, he's just a just a great player great guy had a wonderful talk with him too he's got a new single midnight highway you'll hear a little piece of that at the beginning of the podcast here let's get into the business first here peghead nation with Peghead Nation's streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. Great, great players. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation, tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And if you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses, now you get your first month for free. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all at checkout, beginning to advanced. They got it all at Peghead Nation. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com or download their app at MandoSummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones from Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com. Today, Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins, designed and built in Austin, Texas. Be sure to check out all of those, by the way, 
on uh, Instagram, including Elderly Instruments. Elderly is your trusted source for new used and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced to beginner player, you can check out their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I mention mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there for help. They're now in their 50th year. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880. Looking forward to having Stan on the podcast, too, man. That used to be my favorite place to shop when I lived in Michigan. You couldn't go wrong. And straight up strings, and check this out, beat the summer solstice special. It's June, and summer officially starts June 21st, marked by the summer solstice. If you order any two sets of straight up strings, the summer solstice special 15% discount. That is tough to say. Uh, You can mix and match any two sets of your choice. Just go to the straight up strings page, straightupstrings.com, and enter the promo code solstice when you check out to get the discount. It's good from June 1st to June 21st of 2022. All right, man. Oh, and be sure to sign up for the newsletter. Uh, it's a great newsletter, man. There's so much stuff. It just came out Wednesday, so you can sign up and get it yourself. Let's get into this interview with Ashby Frank, y'all. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, Facebook. Leave me a review at the uh, Apple podcast. That that helps you actually stay in to all the different things that Apple has for podcasts. So if you have a free second and you listen to them on Apple, go there and leave a review. Let's uh, head into this, though. Ashby had a uh, album out, I think, 19 years ago. It's fantastic. We listen to a little bit of that before we get into the interview. Have a great week, everybody. Cheers. All right, man. Now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Ashby Frank. How's it going, bud? Oh, great. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for for doing the podcast. Uh, And congratulations. Obviously, I wanted to uh, congratulate you. Signing with Mountain Home Records, and you just released a uh, a new single, Midnight Highway, which is fantastic. They got a new freeway in my town. It just goes round and round and round. And late at night when I'm missing you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, those guys, I've known uh, Ty and John, you know, the folks over there for a long time, and uh, I've worked with John here and there, and uh, worked with him with Chris Jones quite a bit, John Weisberger, and, uh, you know, just kind of kind of felt right, everything fell into place, so uh, we, I actually, I've been meaning to make an album for <laughs> uh, 15 years, I guess, but uh, it took it took the pandemic and all of my friends being at home, and willing and everybody you know kind of just being cool with the my strange creative process to uh, <laughs> it together to actually get it uh get it the way i wanted it and uh get the b- batch of tunes and uh it's really it's i didn't even mean for this to happen but it, the whole album when it eventually comes out it's, it kind of has a theme to it of like what i've been doing with my life for the last 20 something years and uh lots of travel um you know places and uh, cultural observations, I guess you would say, some of them tongue-in-cheek and uh, 
but it's a it's really a kind of a portrait of the music that I've been making and want to make. So uh, I'm really proud to get it out there in the world. And um, you've got another single that's going to be coming out here too. Um, do you have a date yet on that, or is it still kind of being decided by the label? I don't. We just I just got a album art or a single art yesterday. So uh, it's it's in the works and uh, it's a kind of out there as opposed to what a most you know normal bluegrass or rootsy tracks are it's a it's a song about a trampoline oh no kidding really <laughs> yeah so uh it's actually that'll it's called jump on it that'll be the next single um it's got all the guys from mountain heart uh, well except for matt uh, scott vestal's playing banjo on it and uh but i got a uh, john Callen who i've worked with a bunch to sing some on it and uh the great uh becca bramlett of, oh, get out of here! Uh, you know, really? Yeah, she's singing. She's singing on there, and um, Dale Perry, you know, who's my favorite bass singer in the history of you know bluegrass gospel music, he he recorded a part on there, and uh, it's it's pretty wild. Deanie Richardson uh, from uh, the Likely Culprits and Sister Sadie, she's playing fiddle on it, so it's it's a really really fun track, and I can't wait to get it out there. So I guess this is we're kind of making news here because nobody even knew that's what was happening until I just told. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a lineup wow man yeah well and you mentioned you know the pandemic kind of helped with this you 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 are busy like when, when we look at this list of people when we get further into it um you, you played with i mean just some of the biggest names out there you know and you, you've been work you've been touring with mountain heart right that's that's been kind of like your current right. one. is that what you played rooster walk with just this last weekend yeah, we did. Um, we kind of got rained out Friday night. That place that if you uh, if you guys have ever or never been to uh, Rooster Walk, I highly recommend it. It's like I, I would pay <laughs> willingly pay for a ticket to go for what they have. It's like four or five stages, great food, great art. You know, they, it's family friendly. You know, but they also have you know late night up until I think three or four a.m. Like that's with djs and, and jam it's like we played so mountain heart played uh the uh 10 to 10 to midnight set on friday night which i think they got about two inches of rain during our <laughs> but i wound up getting to do a wound up getting to do a collaboration set uh with a couple of the guys from mountain heart josh Schilling and uh travis anderson and uh my buddy sammy sheeler i used to frequently work with with Olson river band and uh some some of their artists at large is what they call them yeah, my buddy uh, Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wallace Mullinex. He lives. I live in Charleston, South Carolina, as as does he. And so he's been uh, one of the guys. He's been doing that for a few years now. He's such a nice guy, man. Yeah. So Friday night, you know, there was Little Feet was headlining, and then Saturday night it was Grace Potter, and like there's everybody from you know Town Mountain was up there. All of those guys, and uh, just a big bunch of you know all kinds of different music, and uh, it's in there in the kind of foothills, mountain, you know, Martinsville, Virginia. It's an awesome festival. If anybody doesn't have plans for next year for that week, come on. Yeah, there you go. It's amazing. Yeah. And you're going out too here with the Earls of Lester? Yeah, I'm going to do uh, Rocky Grass uh, here in a few. I forget which is first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. That's, uh, we're doing, uh, actually, no, I'll be doing the Ryman with them on uh, June, uh, July 7th, and then we'll be doing Rocky Grass, you know, the last part of July. Oh, wow, that'd be a great show at the Ryman. Holy cow. Yeah, actually, the last That's time like I got made to, for that. <laughs> I got to play there was a, was a Jerry Douglas and Friends set. Like, I think that was 2019. 
it's been a, it feels like it's been 15 years, you know, just that <laughs> right. time in between. But, uh, no, Jerry has asked me to fill in with them. I've whenever, uh, Jeff White's the regular tenor singer, mandolin player. And, uh, you know, he works with everybody under the sun. Uh, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if he's out with Vince, uh, or Allison, or I know he's worked some with Lyle, love it. And the chieftains and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, whenever he's out, I, I kind of put on the, bow tie and uh <laughs> whatever you call that thing and the stetson and go out there and chop mandolin and and sing jerry does let me have like one solo per show because that's not a normal you know curly didn't really play a lot of mandolin solos uh so i i, I do get i do get the one but he, he really watches you know <laughs> it's kind of a running joke you know that's, like, that's great, enough. man. That's plenty. That's, that's plenty right there. <laughs> Although with a band like that's probably just sweet to sit back and lay back and put that chop down and just be like, oh my gosh, this is what a band. You know, it's actually the tiredest I get playing. Really? You know, with Mountain Heart, we play, <laughs> we might jam out on, you know, anything from a Bill Monroe tune to uh, Almond Brothers or, you know, we've been doing Snake Farm live and like we might turn into a 10 minute jam and, you know, but at least I get the solo for like, you know, a minute of it with that i'm literally chopping for two hours wow. and um it's it's pretty intense like i never would have thought that that's you know but yeah there's no break <laughs> but getting to sing with sean camp is just a dream come true he's one of my favorite singers and writers and people and uh it's it's really bad i think i've been i guess it's been five years now that i've been doing stuff with the earls so uh four or five i actually got I was, uh, I used to work, uh, with, uh, Michael Cleveland and Flamekeeper, And I was in that band with Charlie Cushman who's in the Earls. That's kind of how I wiggled my way into that. I believe. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I mean, the list of people you have played with, I mean, I mean, you mentioned Michael Cleveland, Lonesome River Band, Earls of Lester, you were uh, special consensus, Mountain Heart. I mean, that's just like, it's just kind of scraping the service. That's some of the big ones there <laughs> that you have played with, man. But I've been so five, obviously- five the best is what I like. <laughs> <laughs> um so how did you how did you start out playing mandolin so there was a gentleman in my church that i went to i grew up in a old school uh lutheran church in a very german part of north carolina and um my mom was the organist she played uh pipe organ and piano in church and uh there was a guy that was originally from the mountains uh near boone actually the valley cruces area north, northwestern north carolina and um he played guitar and mandolin in the church some, and uh, my mom just thought I should take guitar lessons and learn something. <laughs> and so she kind of, you know, I was more interested in, you know, I'm not very good at athletics, but I was more interested in like college basketball and NASCAR and like, the typical North Carolina things and uh, got into music. And uh, he happened, you know, like I said, he played the mandolin. I started out on guitar and I just kind of picked up the mandolin while, you know, he was giving me guitar lessons and kind of, just found out that my brain, you know, took to it. <laughs> so uh, that's, I, you know, no, I, I heard bluegrass music somewhat. My, my, like I said, my mom's a pianist and organist and music teacher and my dad's family. Well, his, my grandmother on that side, uh, they were all quartet singers. In fact, uh, my dad's first cousin was Terry McMillan. Who's one of the, who was one of the famous, you know, most famous harmonica players, what is it? Harmonicist? 
Is that how you? <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good. I would yeah. call him harmonica players, but it probably is harmonicist. Yeah, uh, he was you know on every '90s country track. You know, if you think of you know Garth Brooks, "Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up" and all that. Oh wow, crazy harmonica stuff. That's my dad's first cousin. Uh, so uh, I guess I got it honest, you know, on both sides. So uh, <laughs> very musical family. My sisters in the musical theater and actually went to Belmont for a, and graduated with a musical theater degree and still does production and uh, performs here locally in Nashville. She lives about a mile and a half from me. So uh, yeah, very, very musical family. And, but Mr. Lynn taught me the, uh, the, the mandolin along with the guitar there. And I just went with it from there and uh, had never had anything, but you know, the most encouragement from my family and, and folks back home and, I guess I, you know, <laughs> I started on the road the week before I turned 16, as far as my, like my first trip without my parents. Whoa, uh, really? With a group, uh, Jeanette Williams and Clearwater. Uh, and so I remember that was right before I got my driver's license. And so I've been, I guess I've been on the road now for 23 years. So that's Holy pretty, moly. pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what type of stuff were you listening to when you first started? Picking on the mandolin then, were you like working on fiddle tunes or were you working on just yes. kind of church songs or yeah? Um, Bill Monroe, Ronnie McCurry, Sam Bush, uh, Butch Baldessari, uh, um, Dempsey Young, Herschel Sizemore. I mean, these are all like Herschel and Dempsey, especially like they're, you know, local heroes there, you know, Virginia, North Carolina area. Alan Bobby, Adam Steffi, you know, it's like Jesse McReynolds, Buck White, you know, I, I got into all the the kind of mandolin players of the day of that era. And uh, yeah, I really got into Bill Monroe and then Sam Bush. And then I went to my first bluegrass festival and heard um, like Lou Reed, Terry Balkum in Carolina and um, Molson River Band and Allison Krauss and Tony Rice unit. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> this, is all, <laughs> this is what I like. So uh, I totally got into the, you know, the, the nineties bluegrass era, of, you know, third time out, Lonesome River Band, um, like I said, Lou Reed in Carolina and that, that bunch, actually Lou wound up, uh, he was my mandolin teacher for, I think whenever I was 14, 15. And then I actually got to oh, see wow. him some, and I was actually kind of in that band for a couple of shows. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I, I, I always turn around. I was like, have I really been doing this this long? And like, you know, it still feels like Sometimes I still feel like I'm a youngster, you know, coming up through stuff. And uh, all of a sudden you turn around and it's like, oh, I've been doing this forever. And uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's still really cool to me. And like, I love what's happening in bluegrass right now, too. And I think it's a great time to be in the roots music world. Um, and uh, but I, I, that's that's where I grew up in that sound, you know, kind of the Carolina, Virginia vibe <laughs> of the, I guess everybody calls it mash now, even though that was, yeah, mash grass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, we, we had a band, uh, we, we started here, me and Daryl Webb and Jim Van Cleve and Greg Martin and Aaron McDerris. Um, here we played every Tuesday night at the station in called Mashville brigade that we kind of stole that term from that all of a sudden it was like, Oh, that's a thing now. <laughs> like, we didn't even realize that we, we thought it was just kind of an inside joke. And, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the world I grew up in. And, uh, of course I was, I think a lot of that world, people don't really realize how, you know, they think it's a, like a rock fusion. that got that sound. Um, a lot of that groovy, you know, whatever you want to call mashy 
downbeat type stuff comes from uh, Gaylax style old time music. Um, you know, with the with the call hammer banjo rhythm and the the fiddles and stuff. You know, that that kind of rhythm and beat uh, really influenced uh, that style of bluegrass, I believe, in that in that age. And uh, I know it did me. I still love listening to uh, old time string band stuff, especially from that region. I mean, I, and I grew up going to, you know, the Gaylax Fiddlers Convention and Elk Creek and Mount Airy and where, you know, it was kind of side by side. You know, people look at bluegrass as some kind of old timey or, you know, you hear the word traditional is like, OK, this stuff was created in the 50s and 60s <laughs> like, it's as old as rock and roll. Like you wouldn't call right, it right. traditional rock and roll, um, I guess. But um it grew up alongside that and going to those fiddlers conventions and hearing the old time bands and uh, you know, it really influenced that the music of that area. Yeah. You know, and I think it did out West too. You know, there's a different style of fiddle playing and old timey music in the, you know, the mountain West area and, you know, the Weezer community and that whole world. And I think it really influenced the way bluegrass sounds out there too. And uh, I think that's really cool. <laughs> You know what is what is bluegrass mandolin or bluegrass? It's uh, it's basically you know a rhythm and blues form mixed with some Scotch Irish stuff and some German Czech fiddles and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know. It's it's like a mutt. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a mix of all the cool things. Bill Monroe was playing you know Delta blues licks on the mandolin, and that's why that was a revolutionary. You know, no one was doing that. It was a parlor instrument, and. Uh, it was a very different thing for him to be playing, you know, <laughs> like Arnold Schultz, like he was hearing, you know, in that day and age. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's such a, it's such a rich community to grow up in going back to, you know, I guess I've talked about where I'm from, but, uh, that part of North Carolina and, and, uh, Southwestern Virginia has such a rich history of, of music and traditional music and, the and cultures and, um, uh, a little bit different from the rest of the South. And, uh, a lot of people don't, probably don't know that but uh it's a pretty awesome area to grow up into where there were jams and you know pro level pickers everywhere <laughs> oh man i'm i'm always surprised at the pickers that you see that weren't part of the shows <laughs> i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> no, <laughs> who just, is this person right you know? just go to i mean i grew up going to bass mountain uh bluegrass festival in uh, denton and uh lots of lots of those fiddlers conventions and and stuff and it was just you know it wasn't just people in lawn chairs back then it was a lot jamming and uh yeah i mean I, I think that's probably what drew me in was the you know once i figured out that i could halfway play you know i that's a really cool thing to get to do as a kid you know go and do something that different and you know creative and feel like you kind of have a spot you know that's a that's a, a lot of people don't grow up in that <laughs> whenever they're learning music yeah, man. And, and to, to be able to like work on something or like learn something at it and, and all you're thinking about is I can't wait to go back next year and right. play this song, you know, the best I've ever played it. And, and you know, in just learning stuff like that, too. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I also got to I mean, my parents. I was lucky enough that they had the means and ability to take me to IBMA and, you know, Spigma and, and Galax and things like that, where there were amazing pickers you know, like my I'm surprised I didn't quit, but like I was, I got to jam with Chris Thiele when I was like what, 14. Wow. <laughs> like, and he was already, you know, writing out full 
orchestral composition (laughs) sitting in the corner of a (laughs) of a hallway at you know like at spigma and all this just chris over there playing you know trying to play you know some mozart piece in a different key just for fun you know (laughs) right Right. (laughs) yeah that's a that's such a cool it's such a cool community and, and still even here living in nashville because i'm gone so much i probably don't take advantage of it but there's such a great you know, community of, of pickers from from 20 to 80, you know, still uh, out doing their thing here and uh, between the Station Inn and the Legion and these and there's some great new venues that uh, the local, I know, has a lot of bluegrass over there and there's there's so much going on here and, uh, you know, it's nice to, nice to have, still feel that even with the city turning into a completely different planet than what oh it was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it still exists, you know. <laughs> I'm just glad the station inn is still where it is, you know. I, uh, it's, it's just it's crazy, you know. It's I'm, so wild to go there and be like, it's like the the block that time forgot. You know what I mean? It's just well, like a giant building. Only thing. place that was like open past a certain hour and like that you wouldn't get your you know window broken into down there. Whenever I moved to Nashville, like that was kind of still a a rough neighborhood that was getting. Uh, I mean, it's just industrial. You know, it's just, and now it's so, you know, <laughs> steel and glass and plastic and concrete everywhere. And it's right, pretty, right. Uh, there's a, there's a new, uh, if you folks haven't been there in the last year, there's a brand new, uh, like four star W hotel that's infinity pool looks out over like the garbage dumpster. In the <laughs> it's pretty amazing. We're actually playing there. Uh, we're playing there. uh this weekend with with my band the likely culprits that we we i guess every show's a ringing in tour because it seems like we play like three times a year It didn't really gain much traction. We were open to get on some of the Americana, and it, it sounds more like '90s country than it does bluegrass. But it's, <laughs> it's a it's a weird mix, and we we just all love playing those uh, playing the songs and getting together. And uh, it's actually it's me and uh, Brandon Bostic and Austin Ward and Deanie Richardson, Melanie Cannon, um, Dave Racine on drums, and uh, Ronnie and Garnet Bowman, um, and it's just a big old party yeah <laughs> sounds like it's so, like a uh, great lineup yeah there's too many of us we can't travel <laughs> right <laughs> i can't travel and make any money with a big band <laughs> yeah we we're like well there's eight of us what are we gonna do we, we did a run open it for jamie johnson right before the pandemic oh and, uh, did you really yeah we just wound up renting like airbnb whole houses and just you know <laughs> it was like a camp out with friends um yeah because you start getting you know six and seven hotel rooms and that's crazy expensive anymore, you know. <laughs> so then you, you start touring just before you're you're 16. Um, what was it like for you at that point then to be like, wow, this is I'm going on the road playing mandolin. See, I don't really know. Like, I, <laughs> I don't. I've never known anything different. You know, um, I was homeschooled after third grade. 
and all of my friends were, you know, at least five years older than me and, or, you know, or adults. <laughs> and you know, I started playing music whenever I was, you know, 12, 13, getting to where I was going out and jamming with people. And like all of my friends were musicians and, you know, 10, at least 10 years older than me. So it was a really odd, well, not at least, but you like maybe, you know, they're much more mature than I. Sure, I was, sure. I was kind of a nerdy old man whenever I was 15 anyway. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, and I've always been fascinated with cultures and travel and like, I'm a foodie and love to experience local everything. And so it's kind of gone along with, you know, maybe not always making the best living or, you know, health choices or career choices, but I, <laughs> I still love doing what I do and getting to see the places, you know, like 20 something countries and 48 states and like, where else could you get paid to do that? And not, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, it, it's still like, it's still a cool life. Even though I turn around, I was like, where did, you know, where is time going? And, but, you know, I guess everybody has that, but uh, no, I, I really, I can't imagine anything different. So I, <laughs> that's, that's really all I can say. Yeah, that. no, that's, a, that's, that's amazing that you've been able to accomplish what you wanted to do and at a high level, you know, and that's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a tough life, but it's even tougher to get into something like that. That's successful right. enough to make it last. And you've been doing it with some of the best in the business. So I think that says a lot about your, your playing and your work ethic and probably your hang. You're probably really good to hang out with because otherwise <laughs> you probably wouldn't have been playing with all those bands either. That's the other thing people forget about, man. You know, I must, like, I'm probably just cheap. I don't like <laughs> That's that's probably why I'm the the sixth member of like seven bands. So, uh, speaking of that life, you know, I kind of I got a little burned out. I actually went through uh, the flood here in Nashville and lost pretty much everything except for my instruments. My sister was able to get in the house and save those. I was in Louisiana on oh, the road man. and uh, kind of got in. You know, whenever you're twenty seven years old and all of a sudden you're paying for a house twice. Um, you kind of freak out a tad, yeah. <laughs> you know, you get it. And I, so I actually, I was like, well, I've been doing this for a while already. And I'd already been on the road for like 12 years or something like that. And had lived, had moved out here. And so I just, a buddy of mine was working on cruise ships and I just took off for a, a little over two years and worked uh, just singing cover songs and playing guitar in a lounge on a cruise ship. Well, yeah. Like solo. Yeah. I, I would, I would do some duo stuff with, and, you know, play with the band on board. If it was like country night, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, I worked up like a, so I was based out of new Orleans mostly. And, uh, which is probably my favorite place on earth. And, uh, I was out of Galveston, Texas for a while too. And so like, I was the token country guy. Cause I, mean, I grew up listening to, Garth Brooks and George Strait and, you know, that Trisha Yearwood era of country music, which I still love. And uh, I just went and sang those songs and became the token country guy for a couple of years just to <laughs> kind of make some money. And, uh, you know, because you can really stash away some cash whenever you're trapped on a floating tan. <laughs> right, right. At a time. <laughs> Amazon so, does uh, not deliver there. <laughs> right. There's no, I mean, like internet was dial up speed and cost, you know, like a ridiculous amount of money to, to be on. So it's like, that's kind of the only reset I've ever had. And I was probably, 
it was some of the best years of my life. Um, but I wish I kind of wish I would have done something like that whenever I was like 20. And I think a lot of people should try to branch out instead of deciding, you know, this is my career path, <laughs> you know, whether it's, you know, do volunteer if you can, or, you know, join the Peace Corps, or, you know, go get on a cruise ship or join, you know, <laughs> like, I think that's a really, a really cool thing because I met so many different people. I've worked in this industry and country and bluegrass and roots music for, for my whole life. And, um, just met people from, you know, fellow musicians and people that were just working on there from, you know, Indonesia and South Africa and, you know, different all of and, and, you know, usually wound up, you would hang out with the, the, uh, native English speakers, you know, <laughs> after, <laughs> right, right. After, after everyone was done with work. So it'd be a table where I was the only American, but there, you know, would be three Canadians and somebody from New Zealand and somebody from Scotland and like, you know, somebody from South Africa. And like, it was just a, really really interesting and the philippines lots of uh, filipinos on there they're some of the best musicians on there filipino um there's some great filipino country cover bands oddly no <laughs> like kidding oh yeah and uh just but uh it was a it was a different experience and uh i mean the corporateness of it was pretty depressing but everything else about it was kind of nice to get away somewhere where you were just working alongside of you know people and you know and traveling, you know, we go a lot of cool islands and stuff that all kind of turned into the same t-shirt stand after a little while. But, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, oh, no, it was a really interesting experience. There's actually a song on this album that I wrote on a cruise ship about taking a cruise. Oh, and, no kidding, really? Yeah, it's it's kind of from a different perspective. Uh, you guys will have to hear it to understand. But uh, yeah, I wrote it on deck zero of a of a cruise ship looking out at Cozumel. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what is deck zero? Oh, uh, it's right at the water you know, it's right at the water line. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been on a cruise ship, oddly enough. I get <laughs> I, I, my, I'm just too worried about getting seasick and then I just know I'd be the guy who was in a cabin for five days, you know, trying not uh, to toss us cookies. <laughs> I just uh, know man, it. I actually that's I've always had a hard time sleeping. I've got uh, I've had tinnitus since I was a little kid and um have a hard time tuning out and i usually have to leave a fan and a tv or a radio or something uh on when i sleep and but on there i slept like a baby just a little <laughs> no bit kidding. of rocking yeah and like the, the noise of the ship um it was i it took me forever when i got back home after my first contract to be able to rest because i was so used to basically being rocked to sleep <laughs> at night uh it's a very weird life. It was like Groundhog Day almost. You know, you're on there and it's the same people. But anyway, you not know, I, I would. I, that's been my one departure from touring life. I kind of got a little burnout and wanted to make some money. So that's that's the one time I've disappeared, I guess. So. <laughs> when you were doing these jams with people who were you know older than you, what's some advice? You know, I think people get intimidated to go to jams or feel like you know it's much more experienced players at some of them and they're hesitant to go. But as somebody who is going to these jams, trying to learn what's some advice you could give to get the best out of someone who's just getting into the jamming situation at a coffee house or wherever they would be. Uh, you know, first thing is to relax and not get into your own head. Um, I know that's easier said than done, but Watch watching the the more seasoned people and how they interact with the other pickers. I think it's a huge um, 
a huge deal and being able to pick up on kind of the, the head nod language mm, right, <laughs> and right. the, point, the pointing and the, you know, kind of knowing your place not to be too forceful to get in. And uh, lots of people get offended by, well, you know, they're just picking with each other. Closed jam is, you know, that, that, that can be very off putting, but uh, sometimes you have to realize that maybe the people that are there jamming haven't seen each other in two years and they've known each other for 30 and uh yeah, they just want to <laughs> they just want to play the same tunes they played, you know, seven <laughs> years ago somewhere. Right. Um, but um, no, I think I think just you know trying to see what everybody else is doing. And uh, there's actually um, my friend Megan Lynch Chowning. Actually, I'm an instructor frequently at her jam camp here in Nashville or up in Ridgetop. And uh, it's actually a whole weekend of jam etiquette and learning, you know, how to work with other musicians and, you know, learning common tunes and vocal harmony and when to jump in. And everybody gets to, you know, get a try playing upright bass. And, you know, sometimes in jams, you know, there's too many bass players or never, never enough, you know, one or the other. Right, right. So, uh, it's actually a whole camp dedicated to, you know, this, the idea of jamming and, and uh, learning how to jump in and know, know your spot. It's a pretty cool experience if anybody's, I know she's sold out for a lot, lots of things and years in advance, but uh, anybody that wants to, I think it's Nashville acoustic camps is what she calls her, um, her business now. Oh, cool. I'll post a link for sure. So people can check it out and get to it pretty yeah. easy. Yeah. I, I actually, I do her mandolin camp and her, uh, vocal camp and her jam camp quite frequently up there. Oh, wow, so, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a fun time. <laughs> the other thing I really wanted to ask you about, too, is, I mean, you played with just some, like, again, like, with just some of these great bands, and, like, how do you prepare for, like, an audition for something like that, and and, and what is it that you've worked on that's helped you get these these great gigs, man? Um... <sighs> time <laughs> i don't know how else to just you have to immerse yourself and and listen to the dynamics of um you know going from playing with john cowan to mountain heart to the earls to you know i've worked some of the crow brothers super traditional uh, you know brother style harmony stuff just have to you have to immerse yourself in that sound before you're you have to listen to everything else before you really hear what you're supposed to be doing if that makes any <laughs> any sense i mean you have to i hate this term but like kind of a chameleon type uh you have to learn to blend in and i think that just takes time of listening to the material and maybe writing down, I do notes. I don't really write a lot of charts. If I'm, I don't like relying on charts, especially if I'm going to be on stage, uh, in the studio is a different, uh, thing, but I, I more will write down notes that I read to myself as I 
you know, before I even play along with the material, be like, okay, the mandolin had a little fill here, you know, the dynamics back off here and there. And, uh, you know, it just, that's, that's really what it, what it takes and writing that down sometimes putting pen to paper as opposed to typing something really ingrained in, in your mind, uh, especially with lyrics. If I'm, I mean, I do a lot of harmony singing with, with different bands and lead singing too, but, uh, that, uh, that's a huge, a huge thing for me is writing it down with, you know, a pencil. <laughs> yeah. There's some weird, of, it's like a weird pathway, man. It's for some reason, mm -hmm. it's the same way with me. Like I, if I handwrite lyrics out, you know, I'm like, oh, for some, they just stick. But like, if I just read them off a, I look them up online and, and don't even really, I guess you aren't really committing them to memory in a way, you know, you're mm -hmm. just kind of reading a digital screen, like where, you know, when you had to sit down and be like, oh, what was that again? And you're writing it and talking to, to it in your head. And yeah, it's, it's uh, amazing. I, I mean, I, I have done some shows where I bring my iPad and, um, you know, have a mic stand attachment or a music stand. I know people don't like seeing that, but like they, I think it's kind of a modern um, get off my lawn type thing because no, right, right. no one would be that offended by a piece of sheet music. But for some reason, people using their phones or iPads, they're instantly like, oh, no, it's not real. <laughs> like, um, I, I don't I don't really have a problem with it, but I want to be able to comfortably perform and not rely on something like that most of the time. Uh, and now if it's just a one-off set and I'm going to play two hours of music with somebody, you know, that I'm probably not going to do again, <laughs> right, I'll, right. I might, I might have my iPad and sure. uh, have charts and stuff like that. But it just, it takes, um, forcing yourself to play other, you know, styles of bluegrass or mandolin or, you know, other styles of music, um, regularly is probably the best you know, even stuff that you're not super interested in, <laughs> you know, jamming along and, and hearing the different dynamics and, you know, the beat in the pocket can be so different for, you know, people that are all playing in time and in tune and somehow it's all so different, you know, um, it's a, that's a big part of it for me anyway, just immersion. Yeah. What was like the first really big in your mind, like big, break or a big band that you had to audition for like the very first one huh uh well whenever i first before i moved to nashville i got uh marty rabin from uh shenandoah had um signed with doobie shea records with tim austin and made a bluegrass record And um, that was kind of my catalyst for, I actually moved in with my sister for a summer whenever I was 18. <laughs> and still, in, I started college whenever I was, well, I started college about the same time I went on the road. So I was 16. Um, and then I moved out for a summer. My sister was at Belmont and uh, lived with her. But then I moved back home to finish school. And uh, that was kind of my first, uh, I played with Marty at IBMA in Louisville. And uh, he asked me to be a member of his band with uh, Glenn Harrell and Patton Wages. 
And uh, well, at that time, it was actually uh, Scott Bestel oh, and wow. uh, Clay, Clay Jones and Edgar Loudermilk. And um, that was kind of my first pro, pro, you know, that made me move to Nashville type gig. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was with Marty for uh, two or three years. When you're when you're in a band like that for a couple of years, does it change the way you practice when you have downtime, or did you still kind of keep keep doing what you were doing and learning all sorts of styles? Oh yeah, I was still listening to everything. I mean, I, I make a point to um, I listen to whatever you know. Apple Music is my streaming you know that I use the most. Um, I listen to the pop chart <laughs> every chance I get, and like the even some of the commercial country. Uh, playlist just to see what people are you know you can't get shut off you can't say you know everything past this age you know isn't good (laughs) so many people fall into that trap and they just become dormant and play the same stuff that they've been like what's the what's the point of art if that's your mindset to me yeah Yeah. absolutely Um, man so yeah I, i try to dig into everything that's new and listen i mean listen to the playlist and listen to some morning shows. And I still, I mean, I still listen to Grand Ole Opry every chance I get, you know, and there's people, there's new artists. I noticed uh, Travis and I were driving back from Rooster Walk uh, Sunday and three of the artists were over 80 and wow. just singing very well and uh, still relevant entertainers. <laughs> you know, Bill Anderson's 84 years old oh and he was gosh. on stage singing a hit from, you know, like, 30 years before I was born and people enjoyed it. Like, I think that's really cool um, that he's still, I mean, the guy's written hit songs for 50 something years. He doesn't need to be up there, but he still wants to be, and he still wants to feel relevant, you know, and he, he still goes out there and, and gives people what they want at 84 years old. And I think that's really cool. And, uh, I, you know, what more can you hope for as a, as an artist? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. And that, and that not just ours, but you know, and, and you, you kind of say like side guy or the sixth guy or the, you know, in seven right. bands, but you've also, you also write songs. And I mean, like with special consensus, wasn't, wasn't the signs album, wasn't the title track one written by you? Yeah. Yeah. I think I wrote three or four songs on there. Give me a sign. Show me the place to start. I mean, I said something when somebody, when they name an album after a song you wrote, <laughs> you know. Well, I've, I've had some, um, I've written songs since I was a kid. And I'm, I've never played the Nashville, uh, let's all co-write. And uh, I, sh- I probably should have been doing that for the last you know, 20 years. But um, <laughs> right. I've just never been comfortable sitting down to write a song uh, with no purpose already in mind. <laughs> Um, I'm not really a, much of a co-writer, even though some of the Daryl brothers or most of the Daryl brothers stuff, Brandon and I, uh, Brandon Bostic and I wrote together pretty much over text message. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> but um, that's, that's how we antisocial co-write um, <laughs> text to each other. And uh, somebody comes up with a melody, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I had, I guess the first real big, thing as far as songwriting wise with junior sisk cut one of my songs and i grew up you know juniors from southwestern virginia and was you know locally 
famous and well known for what a great singer he was. And he kind of broke through there after he was in uh, um, White Rice's uh, band and then had his own band and uh, recorded a couple of my songs. And so about, I guess that's been almost 10 years ago. Uh, he had, he recorded one of mine that got nominated for song of the year. Oh, what's it called? Uh, the story of the day that I died. everything else that I write it's kind of satirical I hate the word uh I hate when people call a song a novelty because what isn't a novelty <laughs> right uh, right you know, humor is you know humor generates emotion <laughs> you know sarcasm sarcasm generates emotion so it's like it doesn't have to just be a love song to be considered a real you know song I, mean, I grew up my grandmother would play us uh Ray Stevens and Roger Miller and uh that um uh, Little Jimmy Dickens and that that style of you know musical comedy is a huge part of what I love about songwriting and you know I still listen to, to stuff like that all the time you know like the great Tim Wilson um, oh I'm yeah such a fan of, uh, um, kind of southern you know satirical but not <laughs> uh, you know observation observational humor uh, a lot of it in music like I, I love that kind of stuff and that's kind of been my mo as a songwriter even though i've had some some more serious uh tunes uh cut most recently uh, dale ann bradley had a number one with a song that i wrote a long time ago uh, that's about kind of anxiety and depression i wrote it in an ice storm in my car uh coming home from a gig <laughs> kind of stuck <laughs> on the side of the road so I, wherever inspiration hits me is kind of the how I write write songs, and I've been fortunate enough to have some of my favorite singers um, sing some of them. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's a it's a really awesome experience. Like I love recording my own music, but someone else thinking enough of it, you know, to to want to put it out there with their voice and take on it is really an awesome experience. Yeah, especially when it's somebody you look up to, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good for you. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about gear here, real quick. What's your uh, What's your main axe? I have a 1997 Randy Wood um, that my dad and I purchased with his money and my Fiddler's Convention winnings <laughs> <laughs> nice. at uh, at Merle Fest. Whenever I guess I was 13 or 14, uh, I bought it from Tony Williams, and I think Randy had just you know just completed it the day before. Merle Fest. And um, I went up there. I liked to, you know, Merle Fest was a big thing every year that my, we would go camp up there. And I played in the contest uh, several years in a row and uh, got to meet a lot of, I mean, back then, you know, I was competing against, you know, the real slackers like Cody Kilby and Andy Leftwich and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Matt, Matt Wingate. You know, they're all a couple of years older than me. <laughs> but like that was the, that was the competition crowd that I grew up kind of around. And so that was a really, you know, even, you know, without, without the con contest aspect of it, that was a real big thing. Just going to get to hang out with those guys and, you know, see what, you know, other, other people around my age were, 
or doing and playing. So, uh, yeah, I kind of, what was the question even about now? I've kind oh, of got yeah, you're, uh, you're, your main mandolin. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. why I, um, I played a Gibson uh, for quite a while. Um, I had a Sam Bush model, and then I had a Dole Lawson model. And I still have a, uh, I still have a 1990 uh, F5 that I really love that kind of has that. I play it with the Earls frequently. It kind of has that a little bit more of a bite to it. But this Randy Wood, um, I've just always taken to it. The neck feels right in my hand. I've got stubby fingers. Um, and uh, it, it's a, it has a little bit thinner of a body than most mandolins. In fact, the, um, like the clamp-on pickups yeah. won't even attach to this mandolin. It's the oddest Whoa. thing. I don't know exactly what the dimensions are. But uh, no, that's, I, I, it's my main mandolin. I love how balanced it is. Uh, it just it works really well for me. Um, slight radius on the fingerboard. Um, I've got a K&K. Pick up in it, and uh, I usually plug in through a Tone Dexter and not much else. Yeah, I love uh, the Tone Dexter, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is so cool. <laughs> it having, really is. Having some issues with the switches on them, I think that's kind of a common th- thread that I've that I've heard. Uh, obviously, I'm not an endorsing artist because I'm. <laughs> oh right, right, same here. <laughs> but um, that that tone that you can get from one of those is absolutely amazing. If if people haven't tried them, then I highly encouraged to uh at least give them a whirl you know uh yeah i I didn't really had much experience plugging in until maybe four or five years ago i started playing with mountain heart um and i played uh with a country artist a canadian country artist named jada dryer who's uh toured a lot and i needed to plug in (laughs) you know big stages we were like playing right before zach brown and you know those kind of stages, you know, monster festivals and things like that. And uh, so I, I forced myself, I always resisted, you know, I was like, no, I'm cool. Just a 57. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just set set me up a mic. I'm cool. But like, I've really, I saw that Ron Block was using the tone Dexter and I was like, okay, there has to be something, (laughs) something to this thing that, you know, if Ron Block, you know, is, is cool with the tone he's getting out of it. then I think, I think I'll probably be, pretty satisfied myself and I, I love it but uh my mando sounds really good plugged into it and i love that pickup too i know people have different experiences uh but that k is really fantastic i have one of my guitar as well do you yeah i love it man it, it's just like i haven't played anything that i found that sounds better if you're gonna you know put a pickup contact pickup on there you know that's the best most natural sounding one i've played and I've, i think i've tried them all yeah you know uh, well and I wish I could deal with the uh, the clamp on mics a little bit more, but they just get if you you know have time we're running our own sound or running sound for a guy who doesn't know how to do acoustic sound, and so it's mm-hmm. just a nightmare. I'm like, how you know? So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll deal with this. <laughs> like Seth uh, Seth Taylor, who plays a guitar in Mountain Heart, and he's one of my favorite mandolin players. <laughs> and he, he can play anything. He's actually all over playing electric and I guess mandolin and maybe banjo on this new, uh, the biggest record in like in the world right now, that Zach Bryan um, album that just came out a couple no weeks ago. I think it's been out for about a week and it's had 89 million streams. <laughs> oh my but, gosh. Uh, Is it like a country yeah. guy? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of a alt, alt country type uh, guy. some singer songwriter type stuff. Huh. I'll check but, it uh, out. Seth, Seth actually has a blend of, um, I think it's, he has a DPA, and a pickup in his guitar 
and he gets a really cool tone and the ability to uh we run our own ears you know from a macbook behind us on stage and uh it sometimes is like you know the clip on the or the dpa that's in or a mic that's internal on a loud stage even when you're using ears <laughs> you know if there's subs under the stage or something it's just not gonna work yeah um, you're gonna get that roar and the, it's never gonna be right so having that contact pickup is is pretty big you know it was a pretty big game changer for me as far as the mandolin because then you just don't have to worry you know <laughs> oh man you really do have a, a lot more control i mean over i mean everything you know if, especially you, you could just hit a button to boost the solo you don't have to get up on a mic and then worry about you know the guy trying to ride the mic up and then feeding back or it's just like ah, i just i just press this button this, i mean and i think it is i mean it is definitely it's a trade-off it doesn't sound 100 percent acoustic but you know it's, it's it's as close as you can get i think uh yeah i mean i would i would love to have something you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll cross that bridge one day and try to combine. I know Sammy Sheeler uh, has a has a mic that's clipped on that seemed that we did a big jam set, like I mentioned, uh, Rooster Walk last week, and you know, the stage was loud. We were using wedges, and you know, we had electric guitar and drums and saxophone and lap steel, and <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible, you know, really to be able to hear yourself play an acoustic instrument that's not plugged in. Somehow, Sammy. Which that's a really loud banjo, <laughs> but uh, you know I, I could hear him. But it's I guess it's just trial and error for everyone, and uh, not I think just like everything else, not starting with a closed mind as far as what you don't want because it might surprise you. Um, you know, even brand of mandolin wise. Oh man, <laughs> you know, so many absolutely. People are so stuck on what you know what they want. I've I, I, I had a flat iron uh, A style mandolin that I wish I would have never sold. That one of the coolest tones, but you know, whenever you're, I don't know, there's kind of a, <laughs> what is that? It's like a stigma, you know, uh, whenever you're a teenager or whatever plays like, Oh, I want an F style every, you know, Adam Steffi's up there with an F style. So I need an F style, you know, <laughs> right, right. Kind of that, that thing. But, uh, you know, you never know what you'll, uh, you'll wind up liking or needing, um, gear and, you know, instrument wise. Oh, for sure. What kind of picks do you like to use? I use a blue chip. Uh, uh, T. Let me actually look at it. <laughs> I forget the number. I do endorse these, and I would tell anyone that they're worth every penny. Um, I've used them for years, and I go through maybe one every two years. Uh, it's a TD50. Okay, nice. I used to use um, the purple uh, Jim Dunlop. Uh, I guess a Tortex. Um, I like those. I used the big fat um, the 207, uh, like gas home uh, picks. I, I played those forever before I got my hands on one of these blue chips. And I actually play with the rounded edge. I don't play with the point. I was going to ask that, yeah, if you pointed, played with the rounded edge or not. Yeah, I think that's kind of common. But I hold my hand, my right hand technique is awful. So... <laughs> I hold my pick in a really backwards uh, way. I think the only other, um, I'm blanking, le leftover salmon. Oh, Drew. Drew, Drew Emmett, yeah. Yeah, I think we're the only two people that hold our picks kind of, and whatever, his hand kind of looks like mine. <laughs> whenever he's playing, I'm like, and it kind of, I mean, Tim Stafford has this weird thing, you know, playing guitar that, you know, kind of looks this, a little bit the same way, except he kind of plants. Um, 
but yeah, I've, I've, I've always used the rounded edge, you know, even if it was a, a pointed, like a teardrop style, I'll just use the, the side of it basically. Yeah. The way uh, Sam does that as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's still, does he use blue chips? Um, no, he was still using these just like, like a fender heavy. Yeah. Fender heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. That's great. He's the best man. And, <laughs> So um, got a couple more questions for you here today, and uh, yeah. the first one I'd like to ask, this will be a really good one for you because you teach a lot of camps and you play with all sorts of people, but, and so I'd like to ask everybody if you had to re- something to recommend, or what would you do if you just had 10 minutes today to play? Oh, the, the biggest <laughs> issue that I have with students and camps and stuff is, is asking people to relax. Yeah. Um, it's like... Um, a big so your solo's coming up, or there's a part of a solo that you find to be difficult. Maybe you're going to play a triplet thing, or like lots of tremolo, or like it's really fast. It's like um, it's like if you're in a car wreck and you tense up. It's even worse for your body. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, so what is it's and whenever you sing, if you strain. If you think that a high note's coming and you, what do you do? You like clench your throat. What does that do? Keep you, it keeps you from getting to that note. Uh, your natural instinct is kind of to brace um, and, you know, tense up right before something that's important. You have to get comfortable with, you know, your, especially, I mean, both hands. Um, if, if you start to tense up and get, you know, stressed because something difficult's coming, it's going to make it that much more difficult. So consciously breathing, <laughs> I know this might sound silly to some people, but that is the just like knowing and reminding yourself that that's not going to help you, I think is one of the biggest elements of like being able to proficiently play on stage or in, a, in the studio. Um, and, you know, even in a jam, <laughs> you know, oh no, we're going to play Whitewater at like 180 uh, you know what the last thing you need to do is psych yourself out and get tense yeah and your tone just stinks i mean just squeeze <laughs> squeeze a pick as hard as you can and just play it doesn't sound beautiful uh, <laughs> make it that much harder you know yeah. and uh, i think that's a big part of um you know why young minds you know people that learn instruments at, at a young age seem to progress better is because they don't know to be scared of it um, <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, whenever you develop a little bit more self-awareness and, um, get, you know, more concerned about what others are perceiving of you as a, you know, as opposed to you listening to you and wanting to get the best out of your instrument and that kind of thing, um, kind of, you know, the art of not, not getting tense is one of the biggest elements of, uh, of being able to proficiently play. And, and I think it's really you know, almost like a, you know, yoga exercise <laughs> when you're practicing, <laughs> when you're practicing the mandolin, just kind of remind yourself, wait, okay, I can do this. I've done it before, or maybe I haven't, but I'm, you know, I know that I can relax. <laughs> I'm not saying it's sloppy, but you know, just, just the ability to zone into what you're doing and not making the rest of your body tense up because of it. So, so big for singing and playing for me anyway. I agree. Same here. And whenever I'm like, whenever I like think like, how am I, 
weird tone. Is it my tone? Do I need to change something? I'll just think for one second, but that's my right hand squeezing the pick like a, like a dumb. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, just loosen up. <laughs> it's n- nothing changed in the PA. Your right hand is clenched. <laughs> yeah. If you, and, and that's your natural tendency. If you can't hear yourself very well, is to clench up your right hand and your right arm and play harder. And that's not going to give you, like, no, that's no. not going to deliver the results. That's the opposite. Uh, you know, so I, I, oh, I play too hard so frequently, but I've just, um, learning how to get in the zone and, and it all goes back to what we started, you know, the conversation with as far as like just immersion and getting familiar with what you're playing and your instrument and your surroundings. And, you know, if you're going to be on stage, whether you're going to use in-ear monitors or wedges, or, you know, if the bass player likes to turn his amp up to, you know, 13, um, <laughs> You know, those are all things that can really throw you off your game. So learning to, you know, being comfortable, uh, even when it might not be the easiest thing to do, uh, is so important. Oh, for sure. It's like jams, man, at like IBMA. You're playing with three banjos and you you, you want to you just you just got to be like, I'm just going to play for me and play how I play, <laughs> because otherwise you're just you're going to beat them. <laughs> you know, what right. I mean? you just get just relax and have fun, you know, and then find another jam. <laughs> well, luckily, I mean. I've played with, you know, so many great banjo players, but, you know, it's like that's the running joke as far as, <laughs> you know, that, how loud they are. I, when I worked with Special Consensus, that Greg's banjo is so loud and he plays, he has such great attack and he's like just ringing in your ears and you know, we'd always <laughs> make fun of him on stage, just, you know, as far as like, uh, which I've always made fun of Greg for, for anything I could think of, honestly. He's such a great guy to kid with and hang out oh, with. Super and, uh, nice, man. But, uh, uh, yeah, you can't compete. <laughs> yeah no just have to sit back and enjoy it luckily with in-ear monitors you know with mountain heart it's uh matt menifee uh plays banjo with us right now and uh i try to get as much of him as possible <laughs> <by ears because laughs> I enjoy. he's so creative and yeah he's a great people player. Aren't with his stuff uh yeah, he was a founding member of cadillac sky but uh to most bluegrass people, he's kind of dropped off the radar, I would say, in the last so many years. But it's because he's been out with people like Warren Haynes and Bruce Hornsby and, you know, yeah, <laughs> doing yeah. stuff like that. So, uh, but uh, his stuff is so tasty. And uh, it, it just, you know, that's a that's a cool thing about learning to work with in-ear monitors. And uh, a lot of people don't get to experience that. I don't like singing with them, honestly, but I love, love playing with them because I can kind of be in my own headspace and have my own levels. And then the the very last question is: Do you have a favorite beer? Oh, I float. Uh, I go from I'm I'm a big fan of the super super uh, hoppy IPAs, but I've been into sours here lately. Oh no, kidding! Uh, yeah, uh, there's a there's a brewery here in West Nashville called Tailgate. I cannot remember the name. I should have thought of this before. That's a great place, that. man. Uh, they've got a, a sour on tap over there right now that I'm all about. <laughs> oh, no kidding. They have good, they have good pizza too there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and wicked, wicked weeds sours are, uh, amazing. They're in Asheville, I guess. Yeah. It's summertime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woo. Um, so, uh, where can everybody find you? So on Facebook, it's at Ashby Frank music or, backslash whatever that is that's the name of my page my instagram is just at ashby frank which looks weird to type out i have a last name for a first name and a first name for a last name (laughs) everything under the sun but uh um you can go check out um 
as far as whenever the album drops, it'll be at uh, mountainhomemusiccompany.com. And, uh, of course, they have all the socials and whatnot. Um, and, yeah, Spotify. We just got on the uh, Grassroots playlist a couple days ago. Oh, congrats, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, getting added to some of the Big Rootsy uh, playlists so far and getting radio ads. And, yeah, it's it's going pretty well. So, yeah, you can find me all over the all over the internet. <laughs> That's great, man. And when that album comes out, shoot me a message so I can tell everybody uh, when it when it's available. I'll definitely spread the word, man. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Great. Thank you so much. Oh, man, thank you. And thank you for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, I enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you to Ashby for doing the podcast. And uh, if you want to know what songs were sampled, just go to mandolinsandbeer.com or look in the description for the song, the artist, and the album. Have yourselves a fantastic week. Cheers, everybody.